Christ is risen. That's right. We don't forget it just because it's one week. We could say that a thousand times and love it. Well, today we begin a new sermon series celebrating the resurrection of our Lord on last Easter last week, and we're calling it Momentum. Now, my friend, he describes it as on the other side of the resurrection, God's plan for our redemption continues, and that resurrection power of the Spirit begins to move in us. And this spring, we find hope and truth in the book of Acts. And Acts is the story of God's grace that is flooding out to the world as the good news of salvation in Jesus spreads to the very ends of the earth. So I would invite you to, to come along with us uh, each Sunday as we dive in and grab hold of this Holy Spirit momentum that is proclaiming God's saving power for all people and invites all of us to participate in this story of following Him that is so much bigger than we are. So, Next week, we're starting with the book of Acts. You may want to start bringing your Bibles. We're going to mark it up. We're going to go through it. Acts is really Luke's continuation of his gospel. They're one book split up into two and picks up with that ascension of Jesus, and it's the beginning of the church of Christ. But to kickstart us, though, today we're looking at one last story from John's gospel. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 21, but John chapter 20 concludes his gospel. And he concludes it with this beautiful saying. He says, John performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John is telling us that by reading in faith the pages of sacred scripture, we truly encounter the word of God, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us and presents himself to us. And we, just like the people when John was writing his gospel, need to respond to Jesus. Because it is the hope of John and his purpose in writing that we might receive the divine word in faith and remain in Jesus' love and become children of God who have life in his name. In my humble opinion, it is the very best ending that you could have to a gospel because it ties everything up beautifully and speaks directly to the purpose of why we have the word of God. Now, we all live in a Marvel era, so we know that when it ends, it doesn't really end. we got to stick around after the credits are rolling. We're going to pick up all the trash around us because it's super messed up if you don't. And then we get a little mid-credits scene. And if you take a look in your Bibles at John chapter 21, that is exactly what you get. You get a little bonus scene, a little Marvel mid-credits scene. John is telling us that the story isn't over, but the momentum of the resurrection is still going, and it's much bigger than any of us could ever have imagined. See, John's 21st chapter expresses the mission of the church and the relationship of the disciples and, of course, us with the now-risen Lord. And in this chapter, we're going to see that the mission of the church is to bring people to Christ who feeds us. And we are to bear witness to the resurrected Lord who has reconciled us to himself and also to one another. So Bible's out, and we're at chapter 21, or you can follow along with us on the screens as well. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. 
He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them to eat, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now in verse 1 and also again in verse 14, we see the words, Jesus appeared. It'd be better translated as Jesus revealed himself. See, it's Jesus who reveals himself to the disciples. They They don't seek him. They're not looking for him, but rather he comes to them. Now, as you keep going, if you're wondering, where have you heard that Sea of Galilee from? You'll recall that this is the site where that feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, that took place alongside this very sea as well. Here again, we see that Jesus is providing food to those who are in need. Now, we know that the Gospels state that several of Jesus' apostles were fishermen, but here in John is the only place where that happens, where it's mentioned. But you'll also know that this is a scene, this is a a callback to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, where Peter is called as a disciple. Because you'll remember that they couldn't catch anything on that day either until Jesus tells them to throw their net again. And they catch more than they could haul in that day as well. And Peter falls down and says, I'm not worthy, right? He's Wayne's world in it. And he's called to no longer fish for fish by Jesus, but instead to become a fisher of men. And Peter is shown his mission. And so are the disciples. So to see the disciples slipping back into their old ways here of fishing for fish is a bit strange. Now they're fishing at night, which turns out if you Google it, is the appropriate way for fishing. Any fishermen out there? I tried, but it turns out you need a a license and a boat and a pole, and I didn't have any of those things, so it didn't go too well. Plus, I Googled like fish underwater. Have you ever done this? The hook is just like chilling there. The fish comes by grabs it, fish is gone. It's too intense for me. I will continue to eat them, but I don't know about the practice. Now, anyways, you know that John uses night or darkness throughout his gospel to show that there is separation from Jesus or that there is this lack of understanding. So we see him fishing at night. I think that's important because Jesus said to them, apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's strange that they go back to their old ways, but it's not strange that they don't catch anything. For the disciples can't fulfill their mission if they're separated from Jesus. And please don't miss that because the same truth rings true for us. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. I mean, I guess we could inherit the whole world, but what good would that do for our soul? We could work as hard as we could to gain as much momentum for worldly wealth or a life that puts ourselves at the center, but where does that get us? So I guess the disciples must have thought that Jesus was gone and the story is over. 
But then we see in verse 4 that it's early in the morning, right? Dawn, light is just coming, and who is there but Jesus? And they, of course, don't recognize him. He asks them a question and knows that the answer is going to be no, but he gives them that command to throw the net on the right side of the boat. Kind of like what happened at the wedding of Cana, right? Mary, mother of Jesus, tells the servants to do whatever he tells you. And even though the party had run out of wine, they took the water, gave it to the head guy at the house, and he tastes the wine. Nothing at all, just plain water, turned into wine. The risen Jesus is up to his same ways here, is he not? Of providing abundance when there is truly nothing. So much fish they couldn't even haul it in the boat. And then you see that John knows it's Jesus sooner. Perhaps it was his love for Christ. That's why he's called the, the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Maybe it's just because he's way faster than Peter. Who knows? It's hard to know because Peter, well, Peter, he does something funny as soon as John tells him. Now, it says he's taken off his outer garment, right? He's fishing, doesn't want to get it dirty, so he's kind of in basically nothing. But he puts it on, tucks it in because he wants to look very presentable for Jesus. And then proceeds to jump into the sea, which I think is just so silly and so funny. The rest of them, they just kind of rode ashore. They find Jesus has already prepared the food for them. And then Jesus says, bring the catch to him. Food's already there, but he tells them, bring the fish to me. And we see Peter perform this extraordinary action. He single-handedly drags the net ashore when the whole group could barely get it into the boat. Because symbolically here, we are seeing the mission of the church. The disciples, whom Jesus is going to send into the world, are to go and bear witness to him. But without Jesus' assistance, they will fail. But if they listen to him, if they cooperate with the Spirit working inside them, they will bring others to Jesus. The church then and now is to continue and live in the momentum here, to bring all people to Christ, just as they bring the catch of fish to him. And notice, please, that regardless of the large amount of fish or whatever 153 is supposed to mean, it's the net that doesn't tear, showing us that we are to be witnesses and bring others to Christ together as one. Lots of disciples and fishermen named working together as one to witness. So what a powerful picture to see. That as they bring others to Christ, it is Christ who is feeding them. It is Christ who has gathered them for this purpose. It is Christ who brings them around, what, maybe a table as they're sitting there over the fire? To partake in a meal where we hear the Lord say, take and eat with bread? Friends, it is in the resurrection of Jesus and his reconciling us to him that the momentum begins for the church where we see that we have been brought to Christ, not by our own works, but by his work on the cross, reconciled to him to be his witnesses. We cannot miss how important it is to be reconciled to Christ Jesus, which is why I firmly believe John gives us this narrative with Peter here, who when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Did you catch that this takes place around a fire? Around a fire, was it, that Peter denied Jesus? I think Peter did catch that. Did you catch that Jesus asked Peter if he loves him more than these because of Peter's boast saying he'd be willing to lay down his life. They can all run away, but I will never. I love you more than all of them. I think Peter did. Did you catch that he doesn't call him Peter the rock, but instead calls him Simon, son of John? I think Peter did. Did you catch the three times? Because I think Peter did. Did you catch that each time after Jesus asked him that question and Peter gave an answer, Jesus assigned a role to Peter as a shepherd, told him that he would feed, that he would tend, that he would feed. And friends, do not mistake that in the Old Testament, this shepherd was a metaphor for being the king, the leader, the one who must provide and care and love, because I think Peter did catch that. And I think it wasn't a coincidence that Jesus did this all for Peter. Because Jesus is emphasizing love here. That you must have a personal love for Jesus, a heart for Jesus, that it's necessary to follow him that way. This wasn't Jesus trying to stick it to Peter and show him all the ways that he was wrong and how Jesus knew all the ways. This is Jesus going above and beyond to convey and make sure that Peter knew He was reconciled to Jesus. Friends, this is an abundance of grace and mercy shown by our Lord and nothing else. To give us an understanding that no matter where you have been or what you did there, you you can be reconciled to Jesus. That no matter how much you have destroyed the, the reputation of your name, you can be reconciled to Jesus. That no matter how many times you haven't come through on the promises that you have made, you can be reconciled to God on account of Christ Jesus. No matter how many times you fail and sin, you can be reconciled to Jesus Christ. No matter how bad it is or how much you have experienced, you friends are reconciled to him by his work on the cross. And he has plans for you. His love for you is unchanging and eternal, and nothing can stop him. Not even death will stop the Lord from making sure that you are reconciled and loved and belonging to him. I mean, look at everything that would work to stop the momentum of reconciliation in this text. There's guilt. There is giving up. There is failure. There is the the feeling of inadequacy and unworthiness. What do you want to add to that list that would stop you? What have you experienced that you think would stop you from reconciliation to the Lord? Because here in this text and in Scripture, God promises that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So do not doubt for one second that you are forgiven. Do not doubt for one second the Lord's mercy for you. Do not doubt for one second that the Lord doesn't love you or have plans for you to participate in this life with Him as His witness as you follow along in this momentum that He brings. In other words, it is time to strap on our outer garment, tuck it in, and jump into the water, swim to Him, run to Him, follow Him. And since we have been reconciled to our risen Lord, let us also be reconciled to one another. Let us use the momentum of the resurrection of our Lord and all that comes with us, forgiveness, love, spirit, the calling that we each have received, the calling to feed and to care for the sheep. We cannot watch in the night as the church any longer. We cannot hide in the shadows of the darkness. Now is the time to be an example of how we are the church. And we are those who follow Jesus to feed and to care for one another. Now more than ever, the lie of the evil one and the illusions of division threaten our very existence. But we have come to know and experience the truth that in Jesus Christ more connects us than separate us. We have been reconciled to our Lord. And we are called to be one body and one people. Peter knew this. And so he wrote, once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And let's get the band back up here as I close out here. Peter references Hosea 2 there. Who as an Old Testament prophet, Hosea was the living symbol of God's willingness to forgive sin and redeem mankind. Hosea's wife was constantly unfaithful, yet he was called to forgive her and rescue her from the life of slavery. And like Israel and like the church and like all Christians together, they were changed. We have a before and we have an after. Before we weren't a people. Before we belonged to ourselves, to our own desires, to serve ourselves. But in Christ, we have become God's people who have a belonging, a purpose, and a shared present and a shared future. That's why Peter writes in the present tense. We are not seeking and hoping to become a people who have mercy or will get it. We have it now in Jesus. So as the band begins to play and we stand up and sing this, this hymn as we bear witness to the glory and might of our risen Lord Jesus, the living hope, I will close with a call to reflect on how the momentum, how a call on the to reflect on how the momentum of reconciliation has worked in your life. How has the mercy and forgiveness that you have received, you have received from Christ Jesus, changed you? How has it moved you? How has it made who you are? And then I want to challenge you to take what you have received and go and do likewise as you follow Christ Jesus and you live in the momentum of his resurrection and his life-giving reconciliation. Now is the time. Let's stand and sing together.